Hello and welcome to Traeger Method Podcast, episode 40, Wonderful. It is a wonderful episode because I speak with, and I'm about to share with you, my conversation with artist, illustrator, wonderful human being, Brian Walsby. You know Brian's work. We were both active in that same era, early 80s, mid-80s, West Coast punk, doing drawings for zines, for flyers, for record covers. Brian, of course, Nardcore, you know, uh, seven seconds walk together, rock together. Famous photos of Kevin wearing a t-shirt hand-drawn by Brian. On stage, he used to draw with like a felt-tip marker straight on a white t-shirt. Talks about doing that for a Coke dealer in Simi Valley who knew Tommy Lee. Drawing that guy a t-shirt, it's a good story. There's a lot of great stories, insights, fun facts revealed in this episode. I had such a pleasure making it. Brian and I were friends back then. Martin and Pat, Greg Lippman actually took Brian to his, he reveals it's his second punk show ever. I remember hanging out with Brian in San Diego. People might think we were in competition back then because we were both doing, you know, punk rock art, you know, positive little figures of people having fun at shows. I mean, that was a big part of what he and I drew. And uh, no, but we were not, there was plenty of room in the pages of zines and whatnot to, you know, you didn't have to compete. We were, we were friends back then. We, I mean, he was walls balls. I don't know if we ever called him that to his face, but he was Brian Walsby, you know, one of our, not, you know, he would, didn't, we lived far apart. He lived up in, you know, LA, North Ventura, we were down in San Diego, so you know we didn't hang out all the time or anything, but he was a friend. And we had you know million mutual friends in common. We all were friends with the same band, same people, same zine people. That's the way the scene was back then. Very small. Very small with plenty of opportunities for a person who could draw, who was motivated. And Brian could draw. He always had such wonderful gesture and movement in his work. And to this day, he's an artist and he makes beautiful illustrations and Tells us he works digitally now. He works on a, on a temp tablet pad, you know, which is awesome. A lot of his early work was made with a ballpoint pen, he tells us. Now he's working with a tablet digitally on a computer. It's amazing. He's posting new work all the time on his Instagram. Of course, you have to follow him there if you don't already. We cover a ton of ground in this conversation, essentially 37 years from when we last talked to now. Covers his life back then, his life today raising two daughters, one of whom has special needs. And he talks about the challenges and the tremendous rewards that come along with his role as a father. You know, the most important one in his life. It's a really good conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. Here's my conversation with my old friend, Brian Walsby. <laughs> Hello. What were you saying? Um, I thought about this a few minutes ago, and I think the last time I actually saw you was December of 1985. How the hell do you have it pegged down to December? Um, because there was a show in Los Angeles, and I'm not sure where in Los Angeles, but it was a show where the Descendants headlined, and you were. I went with uh, Scott Radinsky, and you or, you sang with the Descendants that night. I yeah, I sang. Milo um, was, I was late. Milo was late driving up from San Diego. So Bill 
who um, I formally met earlier that year during that summer said, Hey, well, can you, I don't think I actually said I could do it. Maybe I did. I don't know. I mean, I, Stevenson. I, I, yeah. And I said, sure. So I was Milo for like eight songs and I knew all the words. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder just as I was getting to getting ready to pour my little heart into silly girl. Oh, a classic. A classic. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I was ready to go and then a finger pointed at me and I turned around and it was Milo. So I just went, here you go. <laughs> I think the fact that you sang those songs is the reason I remember that show. It was at Cal State Northridge. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And who else? Um, I want to say DC3 also played, who I was trying really hard to like because, you know. Yeah. It didn't quite work. But the Descendants played. And they and were awesome. Also, and you were awesome, I'm sure. Well, I don't know about that, but let, I mean, let's just say let's just say that's true and I was. <laughs> I mean, Milo is one of the greatest of all punk singers, so they're big shoes. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was it was fun. But I think that was the last time I, I saw you before I, I relocated to the East Coast, which was gonna be I think the early spring of nineteen eighty six. I just relocated to Raleigh, North Carolina. And that was because of your friendship with COC, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, kind of. It, it was, it, it was sort of, it was that because I was quite taken with them, of course, and they were really nice people. And yeah, was kind of a fat infatuated with um, a lot of the bands that were coming out of North Carolina at that point through, uh, you know, tape trading and letter writing and all that what stuff. What bands Just, are you talking about besides COC? Oh well. There was a COC had a sister band called No Labels, who were a really good band that not a lot of people heard. They were on a few assorted uh, compilation records of of that era, and they recorded a really great demo that almost came out several times and is actually now getting ready to come out with some local punk label here in uh, Raleigh uh, for later this year. And um, let's see who else. Um, you know, I was supporting the scene, so it was kind of, it was kind of, um, <laughs> you know, when you look back, you think, I like all these bands, and that's still somewhat true, but when you kind of look back, you realize that, you know, well, you know, there, there are some bands that are obviously better than other bands, but at the time, it was all great, so it's kind of yeah. like, you know, you can't really, you know, there, there was no, there was no reason not to like everything if you were young and excited, and I was, and I'm going to guess you were too. So same exact um, way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how the, the, the bands that make the cut, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later and the ones that don't, but, but yeah, they all have their place and they were all. And at the time, yeah, my enthusiasm was pretty much any band that's punk and cool. You know? Yeah. It was, ex- it was exciting. It, yeah. It, um, you know, like on one hand, it's kind of like when you hear people sitting around, like we are right now talking about our, experiences as young adults you know it's been done so much but at the same time it's you know it was a very you know i can't apologize for that and if people are want to hear about that you know it's it was exciting in in a way Mm -hmm. it's exciting in a way that's kind of hard to really explain to people that you know i always forget how old i am you know like because i i think i figured out the secret which is 
the older you get, you realize you're still the same person. Yes. Even the, even though you have changed, you're still, you know, the so core when you're person, like, yeah. What is that? The core person. Yeah. Is the same. I thought you were going to say the poor person and I was, I was ready to agree with you too. Yeah, me too. I would go with that as after, well. <laughs> after going through punk rock 40 years ago, I, the, the poor person I was in the center is still there. I'm still somewhat poor and probably always will be. And now it's, too, yeah. now it's too late. Just, <laughs> you just got to keep going until death. And then there you go. <laughs> the, the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate retirement plan. <laughs> yeah. I'll sleep then. We were I wasn't drawing skulls back then for a reason, for no reason. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I was explaining to my wife, well, about you, and I was like, well, this is somebody that I knew that was, like, very much like me, that was, like, like punk rock music and drew a lot, and, like, I, I was explaining that you and me, for a brief time during Maximum Rock and Roll's history, we were responsible for all of the scene report headings. Is that true? We had them locked down at one point, just you and I? Yeah, we did. That's awesome. Did. And yeah, yeah. Like, cause I did a bunch, and I know you did a bunch, and I oh, always, yeah. knew, I always knew your work right away. So I was like, yeah, we were like the, uh, I don't know what we were, but we, we were able to draw stupid little things for Maximum Rock and Roll or anything for anybody if they if they asked, you know, which was sort of my my plan, I guess. You know, if you wanted something, I'll I'll do it. You know, you had I, a you had a drawing for it. Yeah, I guess so. I also heard something really funny because um, I want to ask you about what you've done because I know you've you eventually moved back to the Pacific Northwest, which is where you are. That's right. I'm in Portland. And yeah, okay. And you are you you've been a musician, and I want to say a stand up comic. That's true. So you have records out and um, comedy records. No, I have I have music records. No comedy stuff. Just you know. Yeah. Did the comedy come after the music? Yes. Music was kind of a 90s thing for me um, in my Olympia years. Um, and I, you know, and with, with, I still, you know, play guitar and things um, and make songs. I did a bunch of songs last year, just sort of these one minute hardcore songs that I made and released them <laughs> just through YouTube, I mean, Instagram. Um, and uh, so, you know, these things are in my wheelhouse, my quiver, whatever you want to call it. Uh, music right. and, and comedy is one of those things you know i could i could do it anytime i want now but uh yeah it's not my fascination really my fascination nowadays is visual art i'm you know i have a little studio in my front room and i do watercolors oil painting and things like that that's like my primary creative outlet these days and the podcast of course talking to oh cool yeah i started the, i started my little version of what you were doing as far as a podcast or a youtube channel um when the COVID stuff started happening, I was putting together like a book called self and punishment that came out and, but it had to be assembled and stuff. And while I was putting it out, I just kind of knew that there was going to be nothing I could do to promote it except for doing something like this. So I just yeah. started talking to people kind of like what you're doing and uh, just trying to draw attention towards uh, myself and my meager little, projects that i keep trying to and, and talking to other people that I, I you know that kind of thing so um yeah i i, I still draw all the time um I, yeah i, I mean your it. work on youtube is fantastic i mean on instagram why am i always saying youtube the, the instagram stuff that i see today your your work has evolved beautifully thank you yeah i got a, i got a uh tablet like uh my wife who's also a 
an artist, self-employed artist type type of person. Uh, she she had one after we met, and I was like, "What's that?" And she explained it to me, and you know, said it would be a really good addition. You know, I haven't drawn on paper since it's been three years. Oh, really? You know, I was imagining that your work was was uh, you know ink drawing with color through digital, but you're doing the whole thing on the tablet. Yeah, the whole thing. And there's a program called Procreate, Procreate that you can use, and it's really user friendly, and you know, it, it's just made things. Uh, a lot, a lot cooler. It's a lot cooler than Photoshop and, th- and that kind of stuff. So yeah. that's kind of what I've been, you know. So everything, it's like the brains of everything, and it's like this tiny thing, you know. But you can like raise the, uh, yeah, increase the um, size of what you're working on. So that's you know. So I, I still, you know, I've, I've still pretty much done to this very day. I've done the same thing I've always done somehow. I don't know. <laughs> it just, you know, it, it just never, you know, it just keeps going. It's amazing. Which, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grateful actually, you know. But it, it's weird to think how much time is, you know. Yeah, it by. seems like yesterday in some ways. It seems like a long time ago in some ways, the 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 '80s punk days. But another time, it's like, yeah, I mean, talking to you now, it seems like you know, was that time? Was- no, right, exactly. It's well, very strange. Yeah, it's strange, and I think part of that also is like when you do talk to people that have that same background it's like you know it's not like anything like going to vietnam or something but you know if you go to vietnam that's like a uh a shared experience that not a lot of people are going to understand i'm not trying to equate that but it's like it's you know if you weren't there you you know you can read about it you can watch videos or take a crash course in 80s hardcore on the internet but it's still it's still kind of hard to really convey uh you know what it was like so whenever you talk to people that have that same background it's hard not to not to make it seem like uh no time has passed like this right yeah no i i, I get the metaphor for sure because it, it is true that it was such a specific time and moment and i think that's part of why maybe people who weren't there are still interested in that particular time you know especially that time between the early and mid 80s where it's it was a very short and intense cultural experience if you were deep in it the way you and I were. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also like back when you, when, when you're younger, you know, time, you know, we're talking like a two and a half, three year period, but back then two months seemed like 10 years. Oh yeah. When you're, when you're, when you're a young person, it's like, you know, time, time doesn't, time didn't seem to move as uh, fast as it does now. I guess. No, it sure didn't. And you, yeah. and you pack so much in, you know, I was thinking like in one summer, how many shows I would see, how many, you know, letters I'd write, how many drawings I would do, you know, you're just cranking stuff out at that point and experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. It was really exciting. I mean, it was like, you know, I didn't have the typical teenage, you know, I was kind of a nerd and, and I had no friends. So punk, like, like almost anybody that basically gravitated toward, that or i guess now their version of that or whatever i um you know so it was like it was perfect for uh just obsessing over and being really excited about and being kind of nerdy over and you know it, it was um you know i i spent I, I spent all my adolescence or post-adolescence really just holed up in my room at my parents house answering mail and drawing really bad looking <laughs> not super thought out things that uh people still liked and 
it was, you know, it, it was exciting in a way that I can't really, it's hard to explain. And it certainly seems really boring. You know, like, what were you doing? Were you like, you know, going on dates and nobody I knew went on. I, I didn't know anybody that went on dates or went to the prom or did any, any of the so-called normal things. So, no. you know, instead of getting drunk or chasing after girls that I was not so secretly scared of anyway, <laughs> I just poured it all into drawing support your scene. And well, you, you remember. Yeah. We, yeah. You, you, you have a few pretty good support your scene drawings oh. under your belt. Oh man. I, was uh, like, I might be the king of support your scene. You're pretty close though. We're, we're tied. We're both really yeah. <laughs> the leading. Well, you were part of the leading edge. So major scene boosters. That's right. <laughs> yeah, there was resistance to us in San Diego from the older leather jacket, uh, ju- hair, speed, and heroin punks. You know, who were like, "Who are these young kids trying to make our scene all positive and smiley?" You know, this is slow death. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, and you guys had Battalion of Saints, who were like an amazing band, but only for me, at least, only amazing on compilation records and poorly produced mystic record singles i remember like when the album came out i was kind of let down yeah you were like everybody thought are you crazy it's like well every song kind of sounds the same yeah some bands are like that then you know albums i always thought of punk i mean there's obviously many great punk albums but like it's a uh, it's a ep and seven inch comp you know genre yeah yeah absolutely um so here's something else I wanted to ask you because this literally happened. Yeah. As as we were talking about me talking to you, is that um, as I'm sure you know, because I um, I've listened to some of the people you've talked to. There's been like this reissuing of all those Seven Seconds records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy named Mike Gitter from Boston who I'm I must assume that you know or you've been yes. in touch with. Triple X okay. fanzine. Triple X fanzine from Boston, where you'd sit around and defend whatever. Metal. <laughs> yeah. Um bad metal, maybe. I I always thought there was a you know a, a clear difference between good metal and bad metal. I like good metal. There just wasn't that much of it. Not know? a lot. Who were your favorite metal bands back in the day, just for a little uh tangent? <sighs> My favorite metal band to this day is Voivod from mm-hmm. Quebec. And then um, the first Trouble album, uh, 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 Celtic Celtic Frost. Oh yeah. Um, some Slayer stuff. I I'm not really a big Metallica fan. Everyone, I mean, I, they were they were okay. I mean, they had their moments, but I thought I thought Voivod and Celtic Frost blew them out of the water. And uh, I'm sure they'll they'll go over well with the uh, Metallica loving audience that you no doubt have but um (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um i was talking to mike and he told me that he's trying to he's helping whoever i guess joe from trust records joe nelson putting together this elaborate package and he told me that you i have never heard the story that you had actually drawn a cover for walk together rock together is that true you know, I, I talked to Mike. He he reached out to me about that, and uh, because I posted it on my Instagram feed, this thing that oh, I found because okay. I've been going through, you know, this uh, 
this this podcast project began as a COVID project, like like yours, um, yeah. like your project, and you know, just a chance to talk to people and do Zoom project uh, during the lockdown, and uh, so and it was kind of inspired by. Um, having gone through all my archives, you know, my punk ephemera and things that I have, which isn't vast. It's a number of, you know, Tupperware tubs of papers and things, but I was just kind of, yeah, you same, know, same here. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that I have the tubs I have, but I wish I had more, but um, yeah, mangled, a box of mangled demos. Yeah. That- demos, paper, I'm sort of surprised at how many things made it. But, um, so I was going through those and kind of putting them in little bags instead of getting a little, up in my archive game a tiny bit um and i started scanning things as a as part of the project and one of the things i found out of uh the blue in this um you know spiral paper pad there was a drawing that i re- i vaguely remembered having of a version of walk together and it, and my version is just called walk together ep and uh, it's and it's like seven seconds walk together EP. Then it has this these kinds of uh, it's kind of one of those um, all the different versions of punk uh, sure. comp- compositions, a classic punk thing. There's the British punk, the the skinhead, the the skater guy, you know, and uh, and there and so yeah. And but I didn't finish it. It's not complete. The drawing kind of stops, and and it didn't look like I was going for a finished version the logo's kind of a little bit fucked up looking you know it's it didn't look like it'd be but you know back then you're obviously not going for like the the perfect thing you know you're trying to get something good good enough but uh yeah and and i don't have any recollection of the circumstances or what it was or if i was talking to kevin and he had mentioned that they had a record coming out called walk together and maybe I was, you know, you obviously just draw things on spec for, I mean, I did a cover for Battalion of Saints album and gave that to them and just on the hope that they'd use it because I knew they had an album coming out. Oh, really? Yeah. I, didn't yeah. Know that. I wish I had it because that one, because of course, back then, I don't know if you were like this, but I would always just give the original to people. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah I don't have, yeah, every once in a while people are like, do you have any, it's like, does it look like I would have the original of Rock Together, Rock Together, you know, it was, um, <laughs> No, well, I, I don't. Or the Nardcore cover. Like, I, I don't yeah. have that, that stuff. No, you just give it to them. Like, like, yeah, I spent a week working on this record cover. You know, I spent a day. It doesn't matter. You just give it to them. Here you, you actually go. want it? Here, take it. I don't care. Sure. I'll worry about, I'll worry about whatever later. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'm assuming that that was what I did, uh, that I, you know, just dashed one off and then just gave up for some reason, or I don't even know. But I'm curious, what what was the story on your drawing becoming the cover of Walk Together, Rock Together? I didn't. I just drew it. You know, I didn't. I mean, I I didn't really know those guys that well. I just had like a pen pal correspondence and met them a couple times, and that that was really it. You know, um, so I think one time I just I just drew it and and I gave it to them and they decided that they were going to use it for the cover and that's really it. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I think that's how it went. I mean, obviously did you, it was all- did you draw it with the intention or did you just, just drew a drawing and give it to them? Then they used it. Yeah. It was just me trying to draw something nice for them at the best of my meager abilities at the time, <laughs> at the time and just gave it to them. And then later, I guess I was told that they were going to use it. Well, that's it. I, I, I didn't draw it specifically because I knew they were going to use something. I just, Drew it and gave it to them, and that was the same thing for. Uh, well, I think for the crew, there was some little picture I drew 
that they used for the lyric sheet. Now it's a big deal, you know, like, oh my God, seven seconds is using something I drew, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, I, I, it wasn't really done with me knowing that they were going to use it. That's so or, awesome. Or, or most people, really, you know, most of the time you, you know, here you go, I just drew something. Yeah. You know, an embarrassing amount of stuff that every once in a while flies back in my face through social media. Hey, remember this? No. And there was we, like, yeah, we have that in common. There was, it. there was a lot of it too. And like a lot of it, I just don't remember because it really was that long ago. Yeah. I'm the yeah. same way. I mean, with, with, with the uh, advent of social media, suddenly I'm seeing all these things that, you know, if it hadn't been for that, I would never have seen again for the rest of my life. You know, again, just drawings that you draw, send out, it appears in a fanzine on the other side of the country. You maybe see a copy of that, and that's about it, you know. Yeah. Why? Why do you think people are again are so fascinated by uh, by younger? It's not even just really younger people. It's like because I'm trying to wrap my head around why. Um, it's why it has the legs it has. I that's the part I can't really figure out. I'm grateful. You, you mean know, why that era of music and culture has the legs it has? Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I've thought about this, and I think it's really to do with the fact that it was one of the last pre-internet, totally pre-internet subcultures. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, hip-hop and, and hardcore were like the last two things that you can really say were like fully non-internet related youth, you know, driven by a completely different... uh modality just you know the mail and phone calls and driving places and meeting people in person and exploring environments on foot and by skateboard you know and it just and now that's just so long ago it seems like you're talking about another dimension you know another totally historical era and people long for that in some way yeah yeah because uh you know like um i don't know how long ago it was but i was in you know, like what happened basically was I got burned out of what what we, th- that world that we were in and I relocated and I, I just kind of grew up in public. I was a young person and, you know, suddenly I was in this place where there were all these like-minded people and, um, and even the people that, you know, you didn't like. When there's like such a small subculture, you still hang out with everybody, even if you don't like everybody, because yes. that's, it's like, it's like a different version of high school, but still a better version of high school. And yeah, more self-selected got, than high school, but but yeah, it's still a random grab bag of people. Right. So and, and I you know, I played drums, so I just started playing playing drums in various local bands and eventually, you know, times were changing and I would say really right after I moved away, you know, by by the time that happened, it was, you know, it was burnt. I mean I, I can't think of any other way to put it than that. It was burnt. And, you know, it just kind of seemed like uh, all the bands that we all probably liked went off on a tangent or broke up. There was like a three-year, three to four-year window when things were happening where any band happened. And then eventually they'd break up because somebody went to college or this or that or found something better to do with their time or had a real career where, where they proceed or, you know, a lot of things. And I think by like, I'm going to say relocating to the East coast, you know, it's kind of a different mentality somehow than the West coast because it's a different coast. Sure. And there was, you know, we were, we were not too far away from DC 
So I remember things like, um, not even so much Rites of Spring, but that band they did afterwards, One Last Wish. Yeah, right. Right. Like there, there, there was that going on. Um, they recorded a demo. We all managed to get our hands on that demo and, you know, all of us little post-punk kids growing their hair out and whatever, you know, Revolution Summer had already happened. Um, for me, there was a band in, in uh, Richmond, Virginia, who I thought were the the first truly post-hardcore band called Honorable. Honorable, was, yes. It was that guitarist name? Uh, he was so yeah. good. Penn. Penn, right, yeah. Right. They had, uh, they were like, you know, they were really good and they 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 really paved you know the direction of like people moving beyond you know um super fast punk rock or or speed metal or even you know what was the other influence um it Straight seemed like edge, there was hardcore speed metal you know uh, i was not a big fan of straight edge hardcore I mean, like, those people were all really nice, but I just always thought it was like a cartoon joke version of um, uh, um, that style of music, I guess. But anyway, there there was just all this stuff going on all of a sudden. That was pretty exciting, but it really didn't have anything to do with, uh, you know, uh, Justice League or Scared Straight or Stalag 13 or whatever. You know, it was, it was just a few years later, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I had to catch up musically as a music fan with all the stuff i never really heard like sure whether yeah it, whether it was gang of four or the scientists or the birthday party or discovering big star you know just everything else out there that wasn't punk or metal that was kind of like <laughs> that was my world for the next few years of just discovering all this amazing music that i never really heard that really had nothing to do with you know maximum rock and roll or whatever yeah now and i just kind of got burned out of uh drawing people uniting the scene and whatever and <laughs> times were changing anyway and you know i i didn't really draw for a little while then i got back into it in the early 90s i you know those are kind of like my uh waistline years where but you're playing just, drums you're doing other things yeah i'm playing drums i'm doing other things i'm working in a restaurant uh um for 10 years and just not really taking anything very seriously and then you know it, it never occurred to me that i could draw something else or or or, or paint or just you know whatever like you know because everything i drew was so tied up in that world maybe right yeah that you know I, I just didn't see the big picture which was like you know i i i drew plenty before i heard punk rock but i you know it just wasn't connecting and then finally I kind of got back into it and I just took it more seriously and just, you know, I guess this reapplied um, myself and just kept at it and just never, never stopped. So I haven't really stopped except for that short time in the nineties, mm-hmm. I guess, early nineties. Cause everything had totally changed, of course. And, you know, it was just, um, you were living up in Olympia, I guess. Yeah. In the nineties. So you were probably up there during during their explosion and everything, and yeah, up the road, up the road is grunge and sub pop yep. and all that stuff, big time. Yeah, who were your favorite artists uh, in the punk era back then? Well, I did like Bushead. Oh yeah, he was. You know, I don't know if I ever told I, Martin. Might Martin was there? This is a good story. Tell it. Okay. Well. 
Pusshead was a total hero of mine. Of course, you know, he's he was a great illustrator back then. Yeah, totally. He was he was great back then, you know. Brian Schroeder, right? Yes. Um, he was really good. And uh, there was some point where I think Septic Death had played his band played at the Cafe de Grand in Los Angeles in 1984. I went to that show. And um, this band condemned the death from San Francisco play. They were really yeah, good. Yeah, C2D, I remember, right? Right. I remember them actually way more than Septic Death, who looked weird and they were very fast. They were like super fast. So I was like, well, they're good. But anyway, I was writing to Pusshead for a, a long time. And it was very, you know, nice, well-meaning, dorky kid writing to your hero. And he was really cool. He wrote back and everything. And I met him and he was super nice. You know, and it was sort of at the time when I was starting to carve a name out for myself. But, you know, when I say a name, what does that mean? That means like maybe 20 people noticed you and wrote back to you when you were able to get 20 things printed in like some local, some, some, some guys fancy, you know, that's how I met you and Martin. I, I, I know, it. you know, I, I know that's how, you know, it's just through writing. And, um, and you know, he gave me a bunch of flyers and he'd always send me stuff. It was, it was really cool. And, um, and, and, and I'm not trying to bring this up to like come down super hard on Brian because it was a long time ago and, you know, who the fuck knows why. Right. Yeah. But between that time and the next time I saw him, it was like six months had passed, right? And in that six months, you know, time goes by quickly, even though it seems, you know, it's really slow, you know? So I did all this, you know, drawing and stuff and, Maybe might have had a few uh, record sleeves under my belt, or, but you know, um, I mean, basically, his stuff was so much better than anything I could have done that it was really weird to re-meet him in San Francisco in the summer of '85, um, and we were staying at the Maximum Rock and Roll House. It was scared straight, and Pusshead was like, was um. I guess staying there, whatever. Yeah, he was on and a he, long-term stay, right? At that point. Right. And Martin was up there, right? Was this when they were in Berkeley or in San Francisco? It was in Berkeley. Berkeley, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I just remember Green Tape. Yes, Green all Tape. Of his, all of his records. And Puss, I just totally, he was the exact opposite of, he just, he just kind of was standoffish and weird and went to talk to me. And it was like, I didn't do anything, you know, like, and it was back, at the time when like when you're young and innocent and impressionable you don't always notice when somebody's acting weird for no reason he was just acting really weird he just refused to talk to me it was just the weirdest thing and i remember like i you know i i was flabbergasted it crushed my little soul because like you know he was so cool and and and, you know it was like and it turns out, according to Timmy Hannon, that he was kind of mad at me because I didn't spend enough time on my artwork. Mm, yeah, he was he was into the craftsman thing. I mean, which is great. But at the same time, it's like, man, why couldn't you just have given me some fatherly or four year, four years, five years older than me advice? Like, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, going to say he was probably like 21 or something and we we're like teenagers, maybe. Yeah. But he was, yeah. yeah, we, I mean, you and I both looked up to him and yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, yeah. of course it kind of, at the time, it, you know, I didn't really know how to process that because that was my first experience having somebody acting weird 
toward me for no reason, you know, and, and, you know, now I know people are weird for get weird for various reasons, but the idea of somebody that talented and that good, even back then being threatened by somebody that could barely draw, it's, it it was just weird, you know? (laughs) And then where Martin, where Martin comes in was, I was sitting there trying to figure out why I was being vibed so hard by, (laughs) by Brian and Martin's there. And you know, Brian Schroeder knew Martin, of course. And we're all in the same room. And he turns to Martin, not me, and says, hey, Martin, you want to go to the store and get a soda? Or, you know, something like that down the street. And I wasn't asked. But I was like, can I? I'll go. You know, like, or just whatever. And, you know, it, it was just so weird, you know. This is 1985. This is the summer of 85. Yeah. Know? This is like, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old or 21 something like that so like plus ed grabs the skateboard and he's like because <laughs> he's a skater right and uh and martin doesn't have a skateboard and i certainly don't i you know so we're like sort of walking behind him and he's like 20 feet ahead of us the entire time trying to pull off all these tricks and not pulling any of them off <laughs> like and then while he was out of earshot i turned to martin and i was like man this is really weird and he goes what and I filled him in on what was going on. And Martin was like, that's crazy. You know, like, like whatever. And he was just like, we we're just both like putting our hands in the air. Like, this is so, why would anybody do that? That's just so weird. You know? What the fuck? And he kept, Pusshead kept calling back to Martin. Hey, Martin, watch this. I, I remember this clear as day. Watch this. <laughs> he Like he was, he was performing for Martin. So he'd, We'd look and see Pusshead do some, try to do some skateboard trick and fall off his skateboard several times during this short trip to the local grocery store or whatever. And then at some point after the third time he did that, Martin turned to me and said in a not-so-quiet voice, boy, he kind of sucks, doesn't he? He's supposed <laughs> to be this really good skateboarder. And then Pusshead just turned around and stared at both of us and looked at us while he was on a skateboard and didn't say anything for a few minutes and just looked at us and he said hey martin watch this and that that was it and you know the next day we left and went back to our respective places and to this day i have no idea what any of that was about no um he was a huge influence that was um i don't know that was kind of just that that was my first encounter with um somebody acting weird for no reason forgetting that we're all human beings and that we can all be weird and you know um and we're all young adults yeah but that was a profound experience because that was my first experience with with uh people acting weird and you didn't do anything and you don't understand what their deal is and when Um, they're like a hero that you really admire it's it it has more weight than if it was just some clown yes so i don't so i don't mind telling you right now that it was crushing oh that's terrible i mean not crushing like i went home and cried i just yeah but real uh, bummer yeah yeah it was kind of a bummer you know whatever maybe maybe there was something going on that day or that month whatever well if Um, i remember he was living on the couch so he may have just been (laughs) tired (laughs) couch surfing yeah i mean i just remember he lived he slept on the maximum couch there at that berkeley for like a, a while like months well, maybe that could maybe that could be it, you know. He's just like fuck this living. kid. 
with his scene supporting positive never draws skulls who is this guy <laughs> this guy can't draw feet the way i can't draw feet not this guy it's true Puss is not a great foot drawer is he oh i can't draw feet i can barely draw hands still i have like the same i have the same 10 poses for hands that i still use to this very day because i just you know they're hard to draw unless you hold it up and draw it then it's no problem yeah hands but are yeah, tricky it. it's the litmus are, test in, in drawing for sure I'm trying to think of who else back then that I liked. Well, just anybody that I saw back then that was an artist or a cartoonist that was part of that was, you know, because they were part of the punk rock scene, right? Yeah, right. Stuff. So, you know. Were I'm you sure in I the thought, early days, were you drawing with ballpoint pen, like that seven seconds cover? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I, man, really. Like, if I... Obviously, you can't regret anything, and that was such a long time ago. But boy, if I, you know, whenever they, you hear the expression, if you know, if you knew then what you know now, like there are these tools that you can use that will make your lines bigger, and you can actually connect the lines if you want. <laughs> you know, you can actually use these things, and if you practice with them, you'll get better. Right. Or like ink brushes. I never picked up an ink brush until like, Way, way into the 90s and then once i did there was like this you know this curve of this learning curve and then you know i figured it out but i don't you know maybe it goes back to like what i was drawing back then was so centralized on that world that maybe drawing stuff without ballpoint pens or whatever the fuck it was i did you know maybe i just i just didn't make the connection but uh yeah Mar- mad mark rude just because the stuff was really weird of course he was a San Diego guy, right? That's right. Yeah. I think the biggest influence was Sean Carey. You know, I see that, especially in your your work today. Yeah. Because she was like, first, and um, you're, I'm sure you've talked, you're friends with Chris Sherry. Or yeah. You've talked to um, well, he, Chris Sherry is the guy that contacted me out of the blue that used to see my stuff and go, what happened to you? And that's, he called me up out of the blue like in the early nineties and it was him talking to me that made me just like, okay, well, I, I guess it wasn't all for nothing. I really need to reestablish myself, but we've talked about Sean Carey at night because, you know, um, I think Chris did too, but we came out of like really liking mad magazine a lot during the seventies and all those people. And Sean Carey stuff was um, to me, at least it seemed, I don't know if it was really true. was very rooted in some of the better people that, drew for mad magazine i mean there were so many great artists at mad magazine from mort drucker to uh even like sergio aragones who oh just yeah ripples there were still there was a lot of character in that i so, loved al jaffe were you an al jaffe guy i liked him um at some point it seemed like he stopped drawing ears do you remember mm. that no i he don't just, okay look look if you you know if you get a chance look at some of the stuff that he he stops he, drawing ears is like all of a sudden the real no-no he just he, he's not drawing any any ears anymore like he doesn't need to draw ears on any of his people done with ears done done with ears done he with drew Mary. great turds i remember his turds like his turds with the steaming lines coming off them. <laughs> so i don't know why those always made an impression on me the al jaffe turd with a few flies yeah a few around. flies of course yeah. it's not a turd without uh, two flies no you need two flies and some stink lines to really show you <laughs> that it's that it's a smelly turd you know um let me think. Yeah, so Sean Carey, because like um, her stuff was um, closer, close, 
closer to what I could maybe one day accomplish. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like um, it was rooted in the stuff I actually, you know, I, I, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know anything about drawing. I know I could draw, but I didn't really, I didn't do the legwork of practicing and, and learning things. I was just excited and drew, you know, it was, you know, that kind of thing, just being a fan. So Sean Carey definitely out of all those people, um, because her stuff was so good looking. Oh yeah. She was next level. Did you, were you familiar with her work, a uh, pre-punk, like in the, the cartoons magazine that she did in the seventies? Never. I know I've, I, I know I've seen a few of those and I remember liking them, but it was actually really some of the punk rock stuff where I made the connection. Oh, she did this stuff. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, that's I had that same experience where I had looked at cartoons as a child and loved her stuff, and I always saw that name Sean Carey. And then when I I got into punk and I saw you know her the punk things, I was like, who is this guy? He's amazing. You know, I didn't know, understand it, it, it was a, a woman. Yeah, it's a woman. Yeah, yeah. And shrouded shrouded a mystery to this very day. The mystery is being unfolded, though. Have you heard about this documentary that's being made? No. There's a Sean Carey documentary in the works, and uh, many things have been uncovered. And uh, it's it's really interesting. I actually am kind of right now thinking like how much I'm privileged to say, but since I have full editing capability over this, I don't have any issue. But Sean Carey is alive. Wow. And I actually spoke to her on the phone like no shit. a month ago. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Did she just like pack up and just keep as low a profile as human i'm sure it's a long story that you you know well she uh, tr- suffered a traumatic uh, head injury on a bicycle oh. accident uh in the 80s and she was you know greatly incapacitated by that for many years and uh she has since made a major recovery from that but she lives in a um you know like a assisted living facility in san diego essentially Oh, wow. But she's completely lucid, and she's funny as hell, and she's really nice, and she's just a, a yeah, wonderful person. And talking with her, she was just so moved that I knew what, who she was, and that I loved her art. And yeah, it was incredible. Wow. Well, she's probably going to be moved a whole lot for several e- years. When, yeah. When she yeah. figures out how many people really loved her stuff. Oh, That's yeah. Awesome. She was great. She was really good. And I guess Raymond Pettibone also was another... I mean, I couldn't help, you know, that's, that's a completely different sort of creepy adult disturbing form of artwork, but there's, and it's not for everybody, of course, but there's no denying it was very, you know, very powerful. And um, so um, he was a big influence, not trying to be like him because I couldn't be like him, but just, you know, he was Gregan's brother, you know, like um, he drew a lot of really crazy stuff that's very iconic and uh enough time has passed to now where he's like a well-respected um you know artist he seems some massive figure in the art world yeah and i've maybe written to him a couple times in passing but i've never actually tried to befriend him because it's kind of scary to me and also i'm still a bit of a fan and i don't you know it's like i don't want to uh you know, I don't want to have my head bit off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, his stuff um, was pretty amazing. Did you ever buy those those like art zines that he did, like uh, Tripping Corpse? And... No, nah, because that was slightly before I figured out that I liked all that stuff. So right. that, that stuff was probably 80, 81. I think by 
82, I had bought my first flip side and realized that there was this weird world that I seemed to, um, I see, I, I wanted to be part of somehow, you know, so, and, I, and I think his stuff was coming out around then. So I'm, I'm sure I slept on it. I think it took me a while to figure out what I thought about his stuff. You know. Yeah, it was very strange and enigmatic. And as, as a kid, you know, when you're in that phase where you're, well, you know, we're obviously like 13, 14 years old when you're seeing the stuff and you're thinking, I mean, I was just confused by it. Like, what does this mean? What does this graphic with his words and Charles Manson and I don't understand or these references and, you know, and you don't have anybody you can ask like, mom, what does this mean? You know, it's like, it's just it's- strange. it's just part of the mystery. Like, okay, I'll understand this someday. I'll, I'll crack the code on what this all means. <laughs> right. Right. And then later when I started writing a lot to people, you know, there were like plenty of people that did what I did. You were one of those people. There was a guy that I used to write to a lot that had a very distinctive style on the East coast. And I think his name was, uh, his, his, his pen name was fat Pat. Was fat I remember Pat. fat Pat. Yeah. Yeah. And then Vince Rancid, who did the uh, Raw Power Screams from the Gutter cover. Oh, yeah. This stuff is really weird, you know? Very um, cool, yeah. Kind of Mark Rudish in that, like, stippling intensity. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, so, you know, there was there, there was a certain um, group of those kind of like-minded kids, and, and that'll be, that, people like that, like, that, Pat Pat and you and um, I think Chris Sherry did stuff towards the end of the 80s but I didn't really I don't think I really looked at his stuff until when he introduced himself to me over the phone I guess like in the early 90s he was already doing stuff for like all the uh, descendants slash all grouping of people and whatever mm-hmm. had met those guys whatever so anyway so those are those were you know um I guess my early influences, but before that, uh, like Charles Schultz was like a huge influence. Yeah, I, I can see that in your in your work. I remember thinking that. Yeah, there was, and I I just you know every once in a while I'll go through a peanut spender where like I just realize how brilliant what he did was and what he pulled off, and the fact that he just introduced adult problems and neurotic behavior to a fucking comic strip that comes, yeah. you know it's like in an era where nobody had ever done that and it and it took off or like the charlie brown christmas special where like literally the first words out of charlie brown's mouth this is the year i was born 1965 when it came out was i don't feel good i don't feel right linus you know like talking about being depressed in 1965 in a christmas special on abc yeah Yeah. i mean it, it really could have gone the other way for for both his comic strip or and for Certainly that that uh, Christmas special, but just what a weird thing to have caught on. And there was a, there was a lot of heart in the stuff, you know. And uh, I like that too. And I I related uh, not so much to Charlie Brown, but I really liked Linus. Yeah, he was he was my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> Linus was the philosopher. He was the yeah. Yeah, it's such yeah. a such an incredible body of work. And really, when you think about it, it's just so stunning that, yeah, like you said, when it came out and the themes and the richness of the characters, there's nothing else like it, was there? I mean, I can't think of anything. I don't think so. I mean, I, there's some 
you know, my comic book history or comic artist history, there's lots of gaps. Like there's a lot of things I just don't know about to this day. Like, like uh, 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 anything really famous that happened way before Charles Schultz, you know, I I wasn't reading Sunday papers uh, in the 1940s. So all those people that did great stuff, I I still don't know about a lot of those people. You know, I'm I'm not like, there you go, perfect. That's a perfect example. So I'm, I'm not like a completist kind right. of, it's just whatever happened to come my way, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, who's the guy who does the Chris Ware? Was that his name? The, the person God, I'm trying to think, well, if I can't think of his name, it's not a very good thing to bring up, but I was thinking about that. Uh, oh God, forget it. I can't think of his name, so I can't really describe him. Maybe Chris Ware's his name. Does the super intense comics that just have the most multi-dimensional quality to them. Like he came out in like the late eighties, early nineties and pr- printed these just monumentally like the kind of thing where I was just like, I can't even touch this. Like I, I, I don't know how anybody could make something so intense and beautiful. I, I don't remember him or, or, or at least it doesn't ring a bell, but like in the early nineties or whatever, the guy, and he was from your neck of the woods that it was not so much a style, but just like, I thought he was really funny. It could be a good writer. It was Peter bag, Peter bag. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. He's so awesome. Such a grunge yeah. era, like iconic, uh, cartoonist. Yeah. Well, you know, they, 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 and he was doing stuff way before that, but yeah, you know, yeah. He just but that's where he fused with it perfectly. Right. Right. And, um, he's really funny, you know, and, uh, he wrote this great, great contrarian article that I love to this day, defending, um, Mike love of the beach boys. Oh, wow. I gotta see that. And I really, I'm a huge fan of the beach boys. Um, again, a band that's not for everybody. And I can see how anybody could look at them and go, this has got to be the, the worst stupidest shit ever. There's no way I'm ever going to get into this, <laughs> but it's like this weird portal that you go through, right? If you, if you can find a way into the portal and go through it, there's a lot of riches. Yes. But you would only, and there's a bunch of people that are huge Beach Boys fans, and they're all weird. <laughs> and Peter Bag is one of those, you know, one of those, you know. So he wrote this incredible article defending Mike Love of the Beach Boys, who is like, you know, the the kind of guy that people love to hate. He's like, yeah, I mean, the Beach Boy fan hates Mike Love. You know, it's like that's a that's a real outsider opinion. I love it. Yeah, yeah. But he, he just wrote this incredible article, just totally, really contrarian based, and it was brilliant. And it's one of my favorite pieces of writing because he, oh God, he just I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, it's on. It's called "In Defense of Mike Love," and it's online. It's really good, and he makes a lot of good points. Which is like it's kind of meaningless what we all think of these people whose music we like because we're never gonna ever get to know them. We're never gonna meet them. So. And, you know, when all these things that people are upset about in their history or anybody else's history, they don't know those people. They weren't there. They don't really know what happened. How can you possibly really form an opinion, you know, hating a how, – how, how old is he now? Like 91? I Gotta hate that be. guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I hate this 91-year-old man. I wish death upon him. And it's like, well <laughs> – so the article is kind of like – he's like, no, you're wrong about this, and here's why. So, but Peter Bag was like, I wrote him one time and said, what's the secret? You know, like when you're like drawing and you're trying to get to another level. Yeah. 
And this is still like pre-internet, so it's before the field was leveled completely. Yes. You know, now it's like every man for himself. You just take what you can get, you know. Um, and I just wrote and asked him. I, I was like, uh, you know, well, how do you get people to notice you? You know, what do you do? And he's, he said what I ended up saying to a lot of people years later, which is there's no secret to anything. You just work on your stuff. And they keep trying to put it out there. And eventually somebody will notice if they think it's good. And, you know, maybe some doors will open. And that's, that, that, that proved to be always the case. You know, you just got, I think it's like a war of attrition. You just got to stick around long enough and get better at something. And eventually yes. something will notice, but you have to actually want to do it. Yes. That's the key. Yeah. Cause like, uh, I, I think now, um, Again, I forget how old I am. You know, like I, I, I don't really. I try not to think in ageist kind of terms, especially now that I'm a. I'm, I'd be at the receiving end of that kind of thing. Yes, you know, you're right. <laughs> I, can't, I can't apologize for being old. You know, it's it's. But now that I'm closer to death than ever, <laughs> like, like the rest of us, I can see just how what people really think, right? You know, it's like it's real Logan's run. Yeah. Like, um, and I feel kind of kind of the same. You know. And uh, and now I forgot what I was going to say. I, I, Talking about Peter Begg following your, your just doing the work and not worrying about uh, promoting yourself so much as just doing it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I know what I was going to say. I was going to say the one thing I, I you know, I, I think I was going to say something snarky about what, how life is like now. And when people do that, they're going to, they're a few seconds into going into some back in my day, which is what everybody does. But it's like, now more than ever, it seems like the secret to life is just to find something you enjoy doing and just do it. If you actually enjoy doing it and if, like you can't live without doing it, that's that might be the secret to life, regardless of what it is. You know, like right. for me, it's like I'm still obsessive. I still listen to music all the time. I still do all the same things I did back when, you know, I, I met you or whatever. I think that's the secret. You just find something that you enjoy doing that you can do no matter what, no matter who you're around, no matter what happens in your life. And that seems to be the, uh, the thing. And like, when I look at people now, it's like, there's this whole Jack of all trades thing where everybody can, everybody can learn to, to be everything right. in a second because of the internet. Right. But that, except for the actual drive to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I feel kind of like, I feel like that's really the secret of life. I, I, you know, not like anyone asked me what the secret of life is, but it's like, I found something a long time ago that I enjoy doing. And I'm still surprised to this day that I still like doing it. Yeah. And that I feel compelled to do it. I have to do it. Like if I don't draw, um, even if I go a couple of days without drawing something, I start to feel really not right. You know, yeah. it's weird. And also I have like, you know, I'm married and you know, like she has a daughter from a previous relationship. I have a daughter, she's 10 years old. She she has challenges, you know, she has like Down syndrome and autism. So it's like I want, you know, I'll have her for a certain amount of time and then she goes back to her rest of her family. So it's like life is never normal and it's never gonna be normal. So it's like the times when I have after being a father and doing real life things and, you know, trying to steer my daughter and her sister in the right direction when she's here, you know, it, it's a lot. 
So when I have time to do stuff, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you want to do what you really enjoy. Right. Because you can't, you know, because you can't do it. Well, in my situation, I can't do whatever, you know, I can do what I want. And I have, I haven't worked a quote unquote real job in like nine or 10 years now. So I can sort of do what I want, but I'm not a guy that can do anything I want. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, I think it does. so I feel so I feel like I'm kind of lucky that I found something early on that I still like doing. And I think that's really, you know, like, especially for people now that are glued to their phones and, and just whatever, you know, it's not a comment on, you know, you dumb kids of today. It's just more like, you just got to find something you like to do outside of that. You know? Yeah. It feels like you're doing something when you're doing that. And I guess, you know, you are on one level, but the scrolling, but, uh, no, there's nothing, there's no time I enjoy more than, yeah, sitting at the desk, I mean, working on drawing. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I just kind of, it's like the activity that I, I sort of judge all other activities against where like, you know, somebody will ask me to do something. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fit this in to be, to be a human, but you know, it's good for me to get up and walk around and do things. So I should spend some time with my friend, but like, you know, if I go to a party or something in the post COVID era, I'm going to parties again and like hanging out with people and I'm thinking, okay, I could be home drawing. So let, so what, what am I getting out of this? It's like, well, it'll probably be nice to talk to people and I will get outside and I'll, you know, this, I'll go do it. But you know, I'm always thinking like, I can't wait to get home. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of like, it's, it's a balancing act, right? You know, like, um, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm sort of a homebody and, and, um, you know, I've known a lot of people, but I don't really know a lot of people currently, you know, and, uh, I'm kind of an introverted sort of person anyway. So it's like, it, it, you know, it's like you need contact and you need to balance out your obsessions and, and your life. And that's, that's the other thing that's kind of tricky. It's trying to figure out how to spread your time out, um, appropriate, appropriately. I guess. Yeah. I mean, having kids is a good thing that forces you kind of, if you're a responsible parent at all, it's going to force you to do that. So you kind of have that built into your life. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like sometimes I'll just, I'm amazed that what I'm, you know, like, cause I, I'll think I, oh, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing enough. And then it's just like, are you crazy? You know, it's like <laughs> I'm raising, you know, it, it's, it's weird to do a bunch of stuff and then s- sort of sit back and think that you're not, you're not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, it's it's when it's clearly not the case at all. Yeah, for a while yeah. there working uh you know independently in life achieving the things I wanted to do, I would I would uh keep a just a journal, like a, almost a timesheet like okay, from I don't do this anymore, but for a while there I was doing that just to combat that feeling of like what did I accomplish today? I didn't do jack shit. And then I'll, but I'd look at my little notebook and I'd be like, okay, I spent two hours returning phone calls. Then I spent two hours doing this. Then I cleaned the house. Then I paid the bills. Then I drew for four hours. And I'm like, dude, you didn't spend a single minute not accomplishing some tasks today. Don't even think that there was, it was some kind of a slacker day. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. every day almost. Yeah. That's, it's true. It's literally yeah. every day. So like I'm so wired to be doing something that when I don't, when I'm not doing anything or just sitting around, or wasting time on the internet, which I've been guilty of doing, you know, from time to time. Who is? Um, yeah, it, it's 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 a it's like a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, there's no way I could have gotten away with not having um, a steady sort of regular job in this era if it wasn't for the invent of the internet 
and and that kind of, and social media. I mean that that has helped me out immensely. Yeah, and that's and that's the good part about it. But of course, as we all know, there's a there's a powerful dark side. <laughs> it's a tool. You can use it to hit yourself on the head, or you can use it to get your art out there. And yeah, or you can use it to argue with people that you just don't know and don't understand the context of what they're saying. And yeah, and I think I participated in that maybe ended my participation in that kind of thing ended maybe five or six years, you know, just where you're going, wait a sec, even jumping in a comment section and being like, I don't even bother. You know what I mean? It's just, what is the point of that? It's just absolutely wasted. It's hard. Time. It's hard. Like, or, yeah. or, people, or people letting you know that they don't like something that you like. Well, yeah. I didn't, why do why do you have to let me know? Like, yeah, I didn't. Hey, if you don't like this, I want to find out what you like instead. That's why I'm 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 talking about it. I'm not excited about it because I like it, and other people might like it. I want to know why you don't like it and what you think is better, because that's yeah. what I ask. Stuff like that. Yeah, but you know that's the way it goes. You know, um, the yeah. genie's out. The genie's out of the bottle. Um, yeah, you just so got to learn how to manage it, it, right? Yeah, and step away from it when you have to before you you know, do something drastic. Right. Right. Especially now, you know, it's, just, it's crazy. Just the other thing about those times that we lived in, that I think about was it's so weird to look back and think we existed without these tools. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like before the automobile was made in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. You know, no, Martin like, and I were tripping out on that recently. Just like, how did we know how to get to like the Sun Valley Sportsman's Hall? Like what, I don't recall having maps, but we must've just carried maps around in the car to navigate. Maps, like, yeah. Or somebody wrote down, turn here. Right. Turn there. Like just so much stuff that we just take for granted because of the convenience of technology. But right. like we, we all lived and existed just fine without it. We got you know, around. For, we did everything. Yeah. We did everything, you know, and that's, and I think you're right. I think some people kind of miss that, you know, yeah, you remember back this, when you were, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Remember back when you were like a kid growing up and it was this time period where you had no choice, but if you lived in a neighborhood, you knew everybody there. You had no, it was almost like you had no choice, but to know your neighbors, you knew all the kids, yeah. you played with them all the time. Uh, Parents usually weren't helicoptering their children. They would send them out for go away for eight hours and come oh, back. Yeah. Meanwhile, you can do whatever the hell you want. And everybody yeah. did not bad stuff, but just like, yeah, I'm gonna go explore this whatever, you know, this this field or this hilltop two miles away or whatever. And I think how weird it is. Um I, and I'm I'm sure to some level it still goes on, but at the same time, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally wrong, but it, it just seems like that stuff. That's another part of th that whole other world that's gone yeah. forever. Yeah, you know, it just, seems like that because it definitely was a wild. Yeah, uh, the '70s childhood was its very distinctive thing, and I th I've never never met anyone who didn't have that same experience of like go out, come back when this when it's dark, you know, and yeah, you know, yeah. just do whatever not, you want. Yeah. Not, yeah, not like, okay, you're going to go to school. These are the activities that you're going to be doing after school. This is what you're going to do. You know, it was just like, okay, when you're done with school and you do your homework, do whatever you want. If you want to disappear until nine o'clock at night, that's fine. We don't care. You know, yeah. we have our own, we have our own things to worry about, you know, which is almost what it seemed like, you know, it was almost like you were just, the kids were let loose. And that just seems so 
completely alien to how things, you know, and, and again, I don't know this for sure. It's just a vibe I get. Yeah. Well, there's certainly something to it because it's something I've heard expressed many times. Absolutely. And even like the explorations as a young punk kid, you know, just being able to just, you know, get on a bus, go to downtown Seattle, go to the university district, just explore, spend the entire day. Sometimes the entire weekend, you know, you'd stay at, find some kids and you'd stay at their place. And, you know, maybe I would lie to my parents and tell them I was staying with a friend or whatever, but I don't even remember it being, it was more like, okay, use your best judgment. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I just be like, okay. <laughs> That sounds like that sounds like an invitation to do what I want. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. You don't. And we survived. You don't care what it is, so that's good. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, it was exciting getting on a bus and before I knew how to drive and I, I want to buy a record in Hollywood. I'm going to take a bus for two hours because oh, yeah. I'm so excited about going to this record store in in West Hollywood to get these records I've read about to get the first Scream album or the Big Boys lullabies make the brain grow or records that were like five dollars and you just oh cool heart attack i'll buy that um you know it was really exciting amazing i have a really strong memory just popped into my head when you were talking about that that uh i remember when venom's at war with satan album came out like their third record like after you know black metal and and welcome to hell and I, i was so excited for it that i remember like getting on my bmx bike and riding such an epic long ride, like down this huge hill in San Diego, down to like by this Tower Records by the Coliseum or one of the sports arena, and just getting there, just pouring sweat, having you know it's a hot summer day or whatever, and just like getting the vent. I was like, God, I wonder if there's anything I'm that excited about. Like, I was thinking, I don't know what it is. Like, I get excited about some food that I eat nowadays, but nothing that's just going to get me to be like, I will risk life and limb, ride my bike through like busy traffic. Busy tra- yeah, for miles and miles in the hot sun to get at war with Satan. War with Satan. And the record was not very good. And I was like, God no, damn not. it. <laughs> I tried yeah, so hard done, to like it. Yeah, they were done by black metal. Yeah, Even that was kind of like, there was the shock value of Venom. Like, man, this is crazy. And uh, that record was given to me by a Coke dealer in Simi Valley who was friends with Tommy <laughs> Lee of Motley Crue, what the who f- I drew a t-shirt for in high school, which is another crazy story, but um, he just gave it to me because it disturbed him. Because, you know, it was there. there's a point in time when you were exposed to these things for the first time and it's really shocking. And you don't have the life experience to to not be scared of it. So, yeah, yeah Welcome to Hell by Venom. That was, man, These I, I took it at face value. Oh, yeah. I didn't think that there, I was like, these guys are serious. Yeah. This is really disturbing. Yeah, the back of Black Metal, those photos of them like in the rooms with the candles and stuff. I was like, or just, just, you know, the way you'd study records back then, you know, so in depth, like every word, every photo, like what's that? What's, yeah, I remember being very taken with just the mystery of who are these dudes? (laughs) What is this? Yeah. Yeah. And I bought Black Metal. My um, aunt lived in Woodland Hills, California, down the street from the original Metal Blade Records record store. Oh, wow. So it was like literally three blocks away. So I went down there. I was given $10. Um, it was during the holiday season. So I went in there and I bought black metal. And I took it back and showed all my family members. Look what I just bought. And they did bat <laughs> a fucking eye. It's like, whatever. I don't know if you had this experience, but like my parents did not give a shit for whatever reason about anything I brought into the house. And I walked into my aunt's house with all my family there with black metal by Venom. 
and they were just like, oh, that's not, you know, they, they just didn't, maybe they just didn't look at it enough to register that yeah. it was, you know, this is a little bit different than Hall of Notes or Foreigner, you know? It, it, and, um, yeah, I remember my dad once when I had MDC's first album, he like looked at it and was like, do they mean all this stuff? And I was like, I think so. And he's like, do you I think, you're, and I remember him just asking, do you think you're going to like this when you're older? And I was like, I think I'll like some of this music, probably not all of it. And he was like, oh, and then that was kind of it. Just like, mm, Why gonna... is that? <laughs> and it's true. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Fast yeah, forward 40 years. I do like some of it and don't like some of it. Yeah. Some of that, that was a very potent record of the time. Um, yeah. I take like the crucifix dehumanization record. I'd fold out the poster and stick it on my wall and had this shocking image of this, you know, this, refugee from cambodia whatever it was just horrible picture and yeah. for some reason i thought that was a cool thing to do to like you know like and my parents would look at it and they just they just they just did not bad night i i i thought maybe i would get their attention like hmm what's this and um i remember taking uh dead candy's lyrics to my dad like well-paid scientists and stuff i go dad you gotta read like like you know, when you read like those kind of lyrics for the first time and you're, you're trying to figure life out, and yeah. you're kind of weird anyway. You don't yeah. really know what's going on because you don't have any life experience. There has to be a first time where you're exposed to something like, you know, Jelby Offer or whatever, who was really good at using sarcasm and was funny. And it doesn't exactly really hold up today. You know, it's really, you can really easily see the, you know, pitfalls and, well, not everybody that has money is a fucking asshole, you know. That, that's you know, not. It's easy to say that when you're fourteen, when you're to read that stuff and go, "Oh yeah," and you're fifteen years old and you think, "Yeah, I have the world figured out." So I'd read these lyrics to my dad, and and then his response was, "I think it was well-paid scientists." He just kind of went, eh, "You just get used to it." <laughs> that's what he said about. <laughs> that's funny Uh, that was probably the best that was that was probably the best thing he ever said to me he's like like he was considering some of what the lyrics were saying but he was just kind of like like he was saying everybody goes through this yeah you know you you get used to it you get used to things being unfair is is how how i looked at it yeah i mean one of the things when you get older you, you go oh Every society has had injustices, inequalities, suffering of the poor, and Nothing's decadence ever... of the wealth, and the kings are madmen, and it's like that today. And, you know, the yeah. struggle is real, but the struggle isn't, you know, good never triumphs over evil, evil never triumphs over good. There's a the battle struggle. between contraries, and it's just a fact of the, the thing. Yeah, the, str- the struggle is not new. No, yeah. the struggle is And every ancient. year it goes, and every year that goes by, like, um, I just interviewed this guy named Steve who played guitar in that band, the Neos from Victoria, Canada. Oh yeah. They were a fast band. I was, I was obsessed with the Neos in high school. I love that. Hasaba gets the Martian brain squeeze. I think that's like the greatest hardcore seven inch ever recorded. And you know, 40 years later, 40 years later, I have a chance to talk to him and he's off. He's really nice. And he, you know, he's just talking about kind of like what we were talking about, just like, you know, um, there gets to be this point where you realize, I'm not trying to quote him, but people seem to think that we're like this close to, for mass consciousness to suddenly arrive and that the world's going to be a better place. Right. 
And he's like saying, up, but he's saying, but that's definitely not what I would have thought when I was younger, you know, but it's kind of like, you realize it's basically the same thing where like people think we're this close to like something happening to where people would stop becoming greedy and stop becoming assholes and, and, and try to have empathy toward other people who aren't doing well, or, you know, people are really into tribalism, especially now with social media, whereas before, sure. like nobody, I mean, you could, you could agree to disagree and it was fine, but now that's just, you know, and it's just, it's just people like being on teams and stuff. And, and his whole yeah. point, his whole point was like, uh, we're never going to be this close away from something happening because human beings are flawed and, you know, we're not perfect. We're, you know, there's a lot of, that doesn't mean that people shouldn't keep trying, I guess, but he's just like, he just said the idea of like people thinking that we're like just this little, you know, half an inch of space between your fingers away from something happening. And then suddenly everything is going to be great. It's just complete ridiculousness. Yeah. History has borne that out. Yeah. Even like when reading, like when we were kids and, um, reading some of the, like, like I always equate people arguing over stupid shit on the internet or calling out people for whatever. This is like a maximum rock and roll letter section. Yeah. And a few people get that, but it's only people as old as us, I guess, <laughs> but it's just like the same thing. These things are dissected over and over time and time again. And it's like, it's, it's, it's exactly the same as I guess my point. It's, it's exactly the same thing that you, um, that you uh, brought up, but there are things along the way that have happened that made me realize I gave people way too much credit when I was younger. And what's an example, how women are treated Mm -hmm. in general. Um, and that's like, like you grew up in Olympia and stuff. I didn't understand any of what was going on to some of the people. Like I listened to the interview that you did with, with Toby from any kill. Who I don't know, but I, again, maybe I've said one or two things to her and, she wrote back. She was really nice. But, you know, I didn't understand the circumstances of why that would happen. And also, um, I think now I had this attitude at the time when that was happening. And when things like Fugazi were going on, like they had their song suggestion. And I always thought that was just pandering, I guess. At the time, I just thought, who doesn't, who doesn't know that you, who doesn't know that you shouldn't, you know, behave poorly toward women. But I didn't understand that because I never had that experience. You know, I didn't know what it was like to be catcalled or or feel like your life is being threatened. So yeah. I got that wrong, you know, because um my wife will tell me all kinds, you know, she works in public and she tells me all kinds of stories that happen to her all the time. And it's really maddening to hear that and really unfair. And and there's nothing I can do, you know, it's just another part of human behavior where people think it's okay to behave like that. And I guess my, my fault was thinking that, well, of course, everybody knows that. Right. Everybody knows, everybody knows you shouldn't rape somebody. Everybody knows you shouldn't, but I never had those experiences. So I, you know, I, I can't really speak for that, you know? So I got, I got that wrong. So, and, and that's something that's kind of come up a lot, especially with like the pandemic happening and just how 
you know, I, I just didn't really think about it. So that's one thing I, I think I kind of got wrong. Not like I was like, oh, whatever. But I was like, uh, who doesn't who doesn't know that? Yeah. Well, it turns out it turns out a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Like a lot. You know, yeah, evolution, we're evolving. I mean, hopefully we're evolving. Some people don't, but yeah. yeah as um, you start to get a more nuanced vision of the world, more realistic and more empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas before, you know, like, I mean, again, it's a lot of it was also just like, I don't really feel like I know enough to speak for other people that have those experiences. Sure. So I don't want to come off like, I know what that, that's like, but that's yeah. something that I think I got wrong as a younger person. And I, I realize now there's way more stupid people than I ever would have thought. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. There's way, you know, there's you know, like a, a woman shouldn't have to fear for the, you know, it, it's a stupid, well, no one should have to fear for life, yeah. but especially, you know, no one's going to be trying to attack me probably, you know, it, it, it's, it's just different. Um, so I feel more like, okay, I understand that more. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. So, and that might be, that's the only thing that really pops into my head um, recently. Yeah. But, you know, I think a lot of it back then was also like, you know, I was kind of a smart ass and, you know, can still be. And so you think, you know, everything about everything when you're a certain age, and then much like a lot of other people, they've said the same thing, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, I don't know shit. And yeah. I continue to know less and less, as time goes on. And I think being a parent, you know, especially to somebody that you have to sort of advocate for, that's going to be by your side forever. You know, it it really does change everything. It also makes, uh, it also having that experience as a dad makes some of the stuff that people obsess over seem just like totally, it's, 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 it's totally meaningless. You know, I wish I had those problems. Yeah. 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 I wish I had, I wish I had those problems. That'd be great. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, yeah, that's a good, uh, yeah, it's a good note to to end it on. We've been talking a little yeah. while, but before we do part, I want to ask you, we, so we started at the beginning of the conversation talking about the last time we saw each other. And mm-hmm. I wanted to end on the uh, talking about when we met and the first time you met us, like Martin and okay. Pat and I, um, Martin said that they, uh, Pat and him and Greg Lippman took you to your first punk show ever. At, it was like a circle one show at a roller rink. Is that true? It was. They did. They took me. Well, the first punk show I ever went to was, I'll have to back up just a little bit, but I'll make it really quick to get to the other take part. Your, take your time. Yeah, sure. I was I was into the stuff for a couple of years, but I didn't have any friends. I didn't drive. So I. I and you're know, in Simi Valley, right? I was in Simi Valley in Ventura County. Yeah. And you guys were in San Diego, which is right. you know, that's, pretty, that's pretty far away. Yeah. Um. I got my brother to take me to see the show. He dropped me off at the country club in Reseda at the end of 1983. And I think it was, it was a 45 grave with red cross playing and text no horse heads. And then D Boone of the Minutemen played an acoustic set in between that. So that was my first actual show. Wow. Good show. Weird but my, show. Yeah. But my first show with actual peers that I met and it was really quickly. It, it, it happened very early 84 i i think i just wrote to martin or something you know i think that had to be it and martin said well just we'll come get you so that shows that shows the dedication yes. of uh of, of what you know sir i mean i didn't really have to do anything i'm 
I'd like to think I gave them gas money, you know, but they fucking drove all the way from where San Diego is <laughs> past the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles into Ventura County to p- fucking pick me up and take me to actually my second show. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, uh, and, um, and we saw code of honor and oh, fuck, I remember them circle one. That's what I Martin so. remembers. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he's right. I think he's right. Um, Cause it was done by those people had gangs and stuff. Back then. Yeah, I think right. the, the family, P-U-N-A, the family. That's right. Yeah. All that crap. So, so um, yeah. So they, I remember that they came and got me and we went to the show and, and through them, I met people that I would meet later, like John, the singer from ill repute. And oh yeah. It was very angry. Samoans play. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. But that was very exciting and it was exactly, you know, it was, those are, they were the first, I guess, punk rock pen pal peers. That's so awesome. That I had. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, they, they, I remember it was very exciting and I was very, I felt very fortunate that people that didn't know me were willing to drive super long distance just, just to involve me in going to the show. But that's, yeah. you know, that's how it was, right? You know, like, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, saying, we, we were talking about that, Martin and I, about like picking up Kate and D- W. Depina at once, like out. We drove like hours out of our way to go grab him, then hours back to the show, you know, in LA. And then we, I think we must have taken him home unless he got a ride home. But yeah, just that we would think nothing. And we're in like you know, a small truck with a bench seat and just cramming ourselves into it going, what the fuck? Just the, the tolerance for uncomfortable, long LA car drives. Epic. Yeah, and it, it didn't even matter how, and it also, the parts that weren't good about that, it didn't matter how horrible anything was, it was still exciting. Because yeah, you're like, doing uh, what you want to do. Yeah, you're you're getting away from your parents. You're you're you have freedom. You're striking out. Your world's expanding to like, too. Your world's expanding. So you know you. Yeah, I think after that show where Martin and and Greg and um came and got me, then like I started to meet more people, and then I befriended the scared straight people. I think I knew them before that, but I particularly got along really well with Scott. Radinsky. So he had no problem driving my ass all over the place, you know, and, and, um, you know, we, and we're, we're still friends to this day, which is, which is kind of nice. You know, he's, he's a real nice guy. Um, so I have, I have him to thank a lot for my early, uh, chance of catching up and seeing as much stuff as I could. So because cool. I finally had a friend and we saw DeCroix in at the Cathy de Grand on the first album tour. Oh, yeah. Seven seconds. Condemned to death. We'd see whatever we could. We went to the Stardust Ballroom, saw Sam Hain and Jody Foster's Army. All this stuff in a really short amount of time. Yeah. And it was really exciting. The dedication that people had back then. Yeah. Because there, there were really no distractions, right? You found something that you were interested in and you just went all in, which again is maybe something else that might be have lost something in translation in the new world that we live in these days, I guess it's so long ago. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Different yeah. time. Well, yeah, that's cool. The, so the, we settled that. So it was your second show. That's that's for the record. Okay. Yeah. That, cool. that was my second actual punk show, but that was definitely the first show where like I knew people yeah. and had like 
instant friends. And but didn't you, know, you come to San Diego and stay? Was was it? I remember picking you up at like a hotel or a motel in San Diego. You were staying with your parents or something. They were down on business or something like that, and it was down by the Coliseum. And I recall coming, we went to pick up Brian Walsby because you were in town with your folks, and we went and took you to a show or something. Do you recall that? I recall. I recall that, and I recall. Um, I think we were at Martin's house mm-hmm. doing something, yeah, and I probably. think I had to be I had to be brought back to the hotel or something. Yeah, yeah. And Martin was, was like, way up in Mira Mesa, and yeah, you were there. For folks who were like down in San Diego proper, but I don't yeah. know what the show was or what we were doing. But I just remember that for some reason. <laughs> yeah, just the dedication that people had for this. Like, I don't care if it's out of the way or. If I have to, you know, somebody else likes what I like, I'm going to, you know, say hi or do stuff. That was a very powerful thing. It really was. It really was. And it's so nice to talk to you today. You know, the connection stands now officially. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was looking forward to this. I knew this would be, would be a lot of fun. So thanks for agreeing to talk to me. Oh, God, uh, thanks for being a part of this. I really appreciate it. And yeah, and, and uh, I was really looking forward to it. And it's been wonderful to talk to you. We'll do it again. Yeah, anytime. Let me know. I'm sure I can prattle on for another hour. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't, have a, we wouldn't have a problem, I'm sure. Awesome. No. It was so wonderful to talk to you, Brian. We'll talk to you again. Thanks for doing this. We'll see you next time. It's my pleasure, Jason. Thank um, you. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Bye. 